0: following podcast is part of the underdog sports podcasting network for a
1: full list of our shows as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com welcome to the 25th overall episode of create your shot uh, as always, Tyler Laurie, Chris Smalls, Angelos here. This is, uh, I think, our 17th interview, and we've had eight episodes of Picking Winners, but 25 episodes, Smalls, this is a pretty big deal for us. We could have been canceled after the first one, honestly.
0: Yeah, we 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 can get canceled at any time. I think that's what kind of keeps us going, you know? <laughs> that That's the fuel that kind of fires us. Like, any time, this could just evaporate into thin air.
1: All right, So when we get to 25, we want to make a big deal out of it.
0: We popped a little champagne
1: on this interview. Uh, this week, we have Sam Vicini. He is a writer for The Athletic, specifically for The Fieldhouse, which is their college basketball-based uh, site. I think it's run by Seth Davis. So Sam works with some, some pretty heavy hitters, at least in our industry. And he was a guy that we just kind of reached out to because I, I see Sam on Twitter all the time. And he's a young guy, uh, a year younger than me, same age as Smalls, lives in Cali with his girlfriend. And was a guy that was really interesting to hear talk about like how he got kind of market share in this field as like just a you know sort of a young guy who in grad school was like man I really like writing about sports and I really enjoyed it because it was different like his you know talking about breaking down tape as a guy who wasn't really a coach or a player like it was really different and I also thought his interests were different too and this is kind of what we wanted to say is like for people out there who think that they're, you know, unique or that they're trying to do something like there's always people that they, their journey can help you. And I thought Sam, especially for media people, he doesn't consider himself a journalist. So I we should get that out of the way right now. But I thought Sam was cool. Like I thought the way he talked about breaking into the industry and knowing different people and working with them. I, I thought that was awesome. Like it was not any different really than we would probably talk about as coaches.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. I think you know, just talking to different people and his journey, like you said, is so different than the next person. And that's kind of been the interesting thing to do about these through these 25 episodes is just finding different people and uh, their different journeys. But Sam, you know, he, he had a medium. He he loved the game of basketball, but he liked showing, you know, the intricate details of you know, breaking down film and then showing that to other people. So like you said, he took that niche, that talent he kind of had, and then just ran with it. That's what he wanted to do. So he worked hard at it and he ended up, you know, hopefully, you know, continuing his career and being successful. But he's a great follower on Twitter. And uh, I think a lot of people are interested in what he has to say and what he has to show as well.
1: He also follows back, we should say. In like, like he, he has about 75,000 Twitter followers and I think he follows about 55,000 people. So There's a good chance if
0: you just try to get your numbers up, Sam will follow you on Twitter. He Um, he mentioned he mentioned on air or maybe off air too that just like he likes to engage. Like that's part of his thing. Like it's not really like, oh, like I'm engaging for my brand or like something like that. Like he's very he reads everything everyone says and take stock in it and whether he disagrees or agrees he's going to talk to you about it as long as it's you know obviously been formulated in a way that's comprehensive comprehensive.
1: yeah i think like i asked that question thinking that i was an amazing capital j journalist like oh man tyler you're the best interviewer out there i was like sam how do you manage your twitter like and grow it like you wanted to and he literally just said like yeah man i like interacting with people like it's something that's fun for me and i was like all right well back to the drawing board in terms of you know, if I'm the next Bryant Gumble out there in terms of this hard hitting journalism that I do. But he was, I mean, Sam was working for like Nielsen and, and like working and trying to get into TV after, you know, he went to Carnegie Mellon and, and he was in grad school and just decided like, hey, I like to write about stats. And I don't like a lot of people around here don't necessarily share these interests. So I'm going to just do something and people are going to take note. And it was it was fun. We taped this about a month ago, uh, right when right around when Star Wars came out. So we have a, a little bit of movie talk in there. And then we did also have, as you know, we continue to learn and grow, we had a little bit of audio. So right around Rothstein's, which was really fun to do with Sam because he does break down players all the time, uh, I kind of leave the, the room for a minute and Smalls takes over Rothstein's and they do a city review without me. So I'm excited to listen to the city review. I think we did what, small, Smalls? We did Columbus or we did – Yeah,
0: we, we did uh, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, right. Yeah. Same went to Ohio State. You can, so. ha, you can tell how shook I was because you were supposed to do all the Ross teams and then like I had to jump in. So I, I want people to comment and you can at me on Twitter. Do whatever you want and just tell me how shook I was and I'll get you on Twitter too. <laughs> I mean, if you can't laugh at yourself, and
1: it's just, it's sad, of course, on this one, when I was actually really excited to break down some players, because you guys know me at this point, like, I love analytics, I love stats, like, I love watching tape, that was what kind of I did as, as a coach, and I was really excited to talk to Sam about it, and I think, like, midway through, maybe, I, I think we're talking about Jalen Brunson, and all of a sudden, like, I'm just dead and I'm freaking out in my house like I'm in the podcast studio. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And, you know, then I started listening to it back and Smalls just takes it. You know, he's, he's owning it. He's talking about guys and they're breaking it down. And the next thing I know, Sam and Smalls are going to Chipotle on Sunday and then we're getting out of Columbus. I,
0: I definitely have to work on that skill. I, everyone knows this is like a new thing for me interviewing, uh, quote unquote, journalism. But I, I blacked out. It was like Will Ferrell in that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting what's hey, old school old school I, I just like blacked out. I, I really don't know what I said and I like couldn't hear him. like I didn't know what was going on. so
1: yeah so so just let us know. you know tell us like hey, even though this is your 25th show, it's it's not any better from a production standpoint than show number one because that'll keep us humble and that's important. Um, other than that, you know we'll keep this intro short. We are at create your shot on Twitter at create your shot pod on Facebook or on Instagram, create your shot on Facebook and create your shot at gmail.com reach out to us, Uh, gave away a copy of Toughness to Alex Church, the head manager of the Marshall men's basketball team. So definitely one of the, you know, a perfect guy to listen to our show. Really happy that he was involved in the giveaway and, you know, hope he enjoys the book. Uh, We are probably doing our last episode of winners, maybe before the NCAA tournament coming up this Friday, just because there's not that many more games. And if we keep picking winners, Smalls is going to be broke by the end of the year. So,
2: uh,
1: (laughs) yeah. And then uh, other than that, just, you know, get in touch with us. We, we're having a blast doing this. Guys, like interviewing Sam was so much fun. Like just a guy that we reached out to who I thought his story would be good. And, you know, it definitely was. He was great on the air. Uh, even talking to him a little bit about like his personal life and, you know, his girlfriend being from another country and, and you know, how he looked in the future in that regard. You know, that, that's useful for people who don't necessarily have an idea of like, oh, man, when I have big opportunities or big breaks, like what am I going to do? So you know we are going to start maybe a, an analytics site for Australian rules football. You know more on that in the episode, so make sure you listen. But other than that, just you know enjoy the episode with Sam and, and thanks for listening. We're we're having a lot of fun, and this is 25th episode. Hopefully, in uh, we get to 100, and I'm and I'm doing the same boring sp- spiel where I give you our social media and hope that people reach out to us. But you know subscribe on iTunes, leave us some comments, and and for sure add us on Twitter at create your shot and like i said enjoy the interview with sam and we are back friday with winners Welcome, Sam Bassini, the uh, most junior-senior senior writer for The Athletic, based on his Twitter bio, but uh, a guy that's, you know, written a ton of stuff over the last couple of years, was uh CBS Sports for a while, was Fear of the Sword, Upside Motor, so a bunch of stuff on SB Nation, and uh, so now working for The Athletic. Uh, we're really excited to have him, uh, especially from, like, we haven't really had an analytical guy on yet, and uh, Sam has a really analytical mind, and, and kind of a different story, but, you know, as college basketball season's in full swing, Sam... Uh, it's a great time of year. How are you doing, man?
2: I'm all right. It's been a busy time of the year for me because, you know, we tried for to go inside baseball on this. Uh, me and the guys here tried to record last, what was it, Thursday, last Wednesday, something Thur- like that?
1: Th- Thursday, I think, yeah, last Thursday.
2: And over the course of like that time, I've had to volunteer for my girlfriend's company for like probably close to 40 hours over the course of the last four days, and that finished on Sunday. So... I'm finally like out of the crazy volunteer stuff, uh, which is awesome. And I'm really glad that I got to be part of it. It was a really great event yesterday, but uh, life is finally slowing down a little bit as we get into the holidays and get into uh, a little bit more basketball stuff. So it's, it's.
1: So actually, you're going to get a chance to, this was a pretty, we're, we're, this is going to air January 2nd, but uh, we're, we're we're taping it. I think the date today is actually December 18th. But this past weekend was like Wichita State and Oklahoma. So like Trey Young goes on the road and goes bonkers. And then like, I think North Carolina, Tennessee was on Sunday. So it was actually like a big, a pretty good weekend of basketball, right? So you, you've been nose deep in synergy all day, I'd imagine.
2: Well, I, I was for the Tennessee, North Carolina game on Saturday. I got to see the Trey Young show. I got to see a few of those other games that were, uh, really important that happened like before four o'clock Pacific time. So like I didn't get to see Kansas, Nebraska until today. And that was interesting for kind of a number of reasons, just mostly because Kansas zone offense is still a mess. But like, you know, North Carolina, Tennessee, I got to watch today. And, uh, you know, it, it's, I'm those deep in synergy most mornings anyway, just to kind of catch up. Uh, I'm like uh, Rob Doster, our good friend at NBC sports in that uh, I have become spoiled by synergy in that I can watch games in 45 minutes now, as opposed to two hours when they air. So it makes life a lot easier.
0: <laughs> going going off that, what is, <clears throat> what's the day to day kind of like in your daily, you know, schedule and, you know, keeping up, especially in season?
2: It depends a lot on what I have to do that day from a writing perspective. If I have something do like that day or the next day or night, I probably spend a decent amount of morning writing. If I don't, I spend a decent amount of the morning doing film and doing prep work and trying to, you know, understand what's going on with these teams. Like I did a big thing on Rutgers today because shockingly Rutgers is good. So I had to go through, watch two or three of their games. I watched Minnesota, I watched Seton Hall and I watched Michigan state and tried to figure out why they have the best half court defense in the country right now, statistically. So like If I'm doing that, I kind of go back and forth and write and, you know, watch tape and then kind of write what I'm seeing and go from there. But, you know, on Thursdays and Fridays, particularly, I play a lot of catch up with tape and try and watch like four or five or six games at a time and then just kind of, you know, write down some notes and go from there. It's a, it's a long process. <laughs> so, so for, for us
0: basketball nerds, uh, you're living the dream. <laughs> how, how did you get your start and what was the kind of the journey becoming a professional? And I know you don't like this word, but I'll use it lightly as journalist. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, I was talking to them before when we tried to record the first time and I was like, I don't, I don't really like the journalist word because I (laughs) (laughs) no, I know. I just like, it's, it's a weird deal to me. I think it's like used derogatorily now (laughs) almost. And I like what I do, I guess, to me, isn't all that journalistic. Like I'll use, I'll source stuff out, but I'm not really trying to break news here. I'm not really trying to write these like flowery features. like. Some people need to talk to coaches and stuff to break down basketball. I can kind of do it on my own at this stage. So I'm just like analyzing basketball and trying to figure out what's happening on the floor and using numbers. So I, I try and do that. But, you know, how I got into this kind of comes from my background and how I look at basketball probably comes a lot from my background. So, you know, I, I was the editor of like my high school sports section, but didn't really want to do that in college at first. So I kind of flipped around in college. I went to Ohio State for people who don't know. Um, I got my degree eventually in strategic communication and knew that I wanted to do a master's program somewhere because realistically I just didn't think I was mature enough to go out into the world. Like I was going out and like drinking three or four nights a week and was like, I don't really, so that's want a, you're going to fit in really so, well
1: on this podcast, Sam. I'll tell you that right yeah. now. You and me both.
2: <laughs> so like I'm 21 years old and don't really want to go out and do the real world thing. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a master's program. It'll help me like mature and kind of get ready for the real world. So, I do, I realized that, but like I'd also taken so many classes in my first three years because I'd switched majors so many times that I had enough credits to graduate. Like if I really wanted to push myself in the last quarter, uh, in three years. So I picked up a film studies major in year four and, uh, got a double major in communication and in film and then, uh, you know, started applying to master's programs and, applied to Carnegie Mellon because I'm from Pittsburgh originally. It was a really good fit, um, really good fit for kind of what I wanted to do because I started to really enjoy film and wanted to work in Hollywood doing development and doing, you know, maybe agency work and stuff like that. So I I go and, you know, I get what is essentially an MBA in the entertainment industry. And until I'm 22, I don't really pick up writing again until then. Uh, I I was just kind of, you know, doing my own thing in college and not, you know, not doing any sort of journalist or analytic work or whatever you want to call it. And then my first year at Carnegie Mellon, I just didn't really want to You know, hang out with some of the people in my program. Like I have friends from the program, certainly. And, you know, I I would go out occasionally, but it was a very different feel for me. Like I, like I said, like I was going out and having a good time in college and a lot of the people in my program weren't necessarily, you know, in tune with what I like to do. Uh, you know, I watch sports all the time and watch, you know, go out and do that stuff. So uh, I started writing about basketball. So as to not go out all the time and uh, it kind of blossomed from there and started uh, as a hobby and enough people liked my work that I continued to get hired to like do different things such as write for SB Nation and uh, Matt Moore, who was in the news today for moving over to this like sports gambling. I site think Action CBS. Sports
1: Network, he just he posted about it out. That's like Chad Millman, I think is involved with that too.
2: Yep. Yeah. No, it, it's a really, really good opportunity for him. And, you know, I, I've created a relationship with him and he, you know, hired me to do some work at his website and, uh, it, it just continued to grow and evolve to where, uh, after I graduate Carnegie Mellon, I'm working at Nielsen doing TV ratings and doing some analytic work on like, so I, I worked in like a very special, part of Nielsen doing some uh, like creative advertising uh, analytical work. And eventually it comes to like August or September and Matt reaches out to me because what my writing specialty had become was writing about the NBA draft and CBS sports wanted an NBA draft writer. So he reached out to me and, you know, I go through the interview process and got really, really lucky, really. I mean, realistically, that's what it takes in this industry is just a lot of luck. And ultimately I get hired and I work at CBS for a couple of years and then, uh, you know, move on and go to sporting news and now move on and go to the athletics. So it, it's, it, it's all very lucky and all very, uh, you know, very interesting to me that, Someone like me couldn't be in this industry. And I think that uh, it kind of goes to show that you don't necessarily have to have this incredible journalistic background to do it. If you just like writing about basketball and like, uh, you know, watching basketball and just want to talk about it, you can do it. There's no barrier to entry anymore. It's, It's really just a, it's a great system for finding, uh, finding your way and, uh, how you want to be happy and what you do in your life.
1: Sam, what did you do when you decided, like, okay, I want to start writing about basketball? Like, where were those pieces going to begin with? And were you literally just watching games being like, I-, I would imagine this was probably like 2011, 2012, being like, the Cavs are better with Chris Bosch as a small ball five than they are with Chris Bosch at the Like, did you, were you literally just watching being like, this is really interesting to me. I'm going to write this and send it to people? Or did you have somewhere that that went?
2: I think that the first thing I ever wrote was I wrote about I wrote a fan post on Fear the Sword on SB Nation about like summer league and like their summer league roster and Justin Holiday being on that summer league roster and how he fit the mold of like where NBA wings are going. He's six seven. He's like has a seven foot wingspan. He can shoot threes. He's athletic. Um, and, and like that was back in 2012 when no one knew who the hell Justin Holliday right, was. And three now and D wings weren't you know, like a
1: huge deal Chicago. yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Um, so yeah, no, that, that's, I think where I started and I got, you know, someone reached out to me and said, do you want to do this in a more official capacity? And I said, sure. And it just kind of ballooned from there. So,
1: so now when you're writing, you know, you obviously have editors and things like that. I know you were contributing for sporting news for a while too. Same deal. Do you have a lot of carte blanche to write what you think is interesting, or are you pitching several different pieces?
2: Uh, throughout the course of my career, I have mostly just gotten carte blanche to write what I find is interesting, and that's worked. Uh, right now at the Athletic, it's a little bit different. Uh, I tend to have assignments. Um, within those assignments, I can get a little bit creative on what I'm doing, but uh it's a little bit different now in that I tend not to just be able to freewheel.
1: Okay. I, I cause I, I'm curious, like especially from an analytical standpoint, and, and I've argued about this plenty with smalls because I, I'm a I'm a big analytics guy. And when I was working at college of Charleston and, you know, I worked for the Sam Hinkie Sixers for, for a little while and their D League team, like that was all you know we did was chart different things. And I'm curious from a from a I don't want to say journalist, but like from a writer standpoint when you're coming in and you're writing with a ton of stats, how was that received? Right when you started writing, or did you even care about that? You know, what I mean, like you're picking stuff up from Basketball Reference and all over the place. Where did you learn how to apply stats? Like, and, and where to pick up what would would really like hit a piece home based on if a guy was a good player or not?
2: Well, the biggest thing to me is that you have to apply stats in context. You can't really just throw out numbers, right? Like. Uh, a stat without context doesn't really mean anything. And I'm sure that that's something that Sam Henke preached to you. Like you have to make sure. And, you know, you can't just like, you know, do basketball stats without watching basketball games. Like you actually have to understand the game. And I think that part of the reason that I'm better about using stats now than maybe I was in the past is that I started – by more focusing on learning the game of basketball, like I-, I learned more about, okay, what am I looking for from a physical perspective when I'm evaluating a player? What am I looking for in terms of his skill set? Uh, how does he pick the ball up before shooting the basketball off the dribble? How does uh, his handle? Uh, can he do some in and out dribbling? Can he, uh, you know, do X, Y, and Z whenever he's, you know handling ball? Can you change pace reasonably well? Uh, And getting into the granular stuff there, and then I went from there and learned uh, about different sets and the way that defenses rotate and kind of learned just how contextually these numbers that I then, you know, dove into and started learning more about would be able to actually apply to what I was writing about. And I think that that's the most important part of it. In terms of how it's received now as opposed to then, I think that I was in, you know, I started in an environment that was very receptive. Yeah. yeah like
1: Matt site has always been, you know, very analytical, analytically forward.
2: Right. In CBS sports to, you know, to their credit as well was very analytically forward. Um, they were happy with me using numbers. They They thought it was great uh that I would analyze basketball in that manner. They they really care a lot about basketball uh and care about the sports that they're covering. Uh, you know, and not that's not to take away from the people over there like Matt Norlander, who, you know, I consider a very close friend in the industry, who can really get to the core of an emotional subject. But, you know, CBS Sports really cares about the games and they really care about being a hub for uh, you know, what is happening throughout the actual sport itself and, you know, everything like that. So I, now I think that the last two places I've been, and this isn't to, you know, talk shit about them or anything, but I think that it's a little bit different, uh, you know, at Sporting News and at The Athletic where, you know, words matter a little bit more than numbers. They they focus more on that and that's totally cool. I think it's great. I I just, uh, you know, it's, it's funny just because as the game has gotten more analytical i've gotten to work for places that haven't necessarily had that backing and it's yeah it's a very interesting kind of kind of you know juxtaposition of how i came up versus where i'm at now
0: sim where where did your love for basketball start and i asked that because I always wonder, you know, what separates the game from other, you know, other sports? I mean, there's a- analytics in every sport, but for you specifically, you took a, an interest in basketball and you have that love and that passion. Where did that stem from?
2: So the sports that I've always enjoyed have been the ones that continually have like kinetic energy just kind of bouncing, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I-, I like games that don't really ever stop like football is a seven second play and then it stops for 30 seconds and then it's seven second play or two minutes.
1: If you're reviewing, uh, if Jesse James caught the ball in the Patriots (laughs) game
2: yesterday, (laughs) (laughs) exactly right. So like football, for instance, like I'll watch a football game, but you know, I don't really give a shit. Um, basketball. I love basketball because it continually just goes. I love hockey because it continually goes. I'm a
0: big hockey Um, guy, Sam big hockey yeah. guy. Are we are you a Penguins guy cuz you grew up in Pittsburgh?
2: Yeah, I'm, I am a, I'm a I'm Flyers
0: like, guy. I live in Pittsburgh now, I'm a Flyers guy. Think about that. <laughs> terrible. I'm so,
2: I'm so sorry for you now that you live in Pittsburgh and are a Flyers guy. Um but like now like I, so my girlfriend is from Melbourne, Australia and you know we've lived together for 2 years now and you know I think that she had an uncle that played for an Australian football team. So we watch Australian football religiously because it's just so up tempo and so kinetic that it's really fun for me to watch. So basketball was the first one of those sports I think that I picked up. And that's why I chose to love basketball in the way that I do. But, you know, that's what's always interested me is just games where there's so much motion happening on the floor that there's never a shortage of things to break down and talk.
1: And and you actually, in terms of talking about things, like you're really, really active on social media. And and like you have a, I mean, your Twitter account's got to be wild, Sam, if you don't mind me saying this. Like you have like 75,000 followers, but you also follow like 50,000 people. So your your feed just must be just this constant. You've got to have a lot of word vomit on your your timeline, right? Like there's got to be a lot of, but but you get a lot of people that reach out to you, right? And you interact with your fans. Yeah. Bit, not your fans, I should say. You're, you're the people that pay attention to what you write. I guess fans might be, right? Would You you wouldn't call them fans, right? I don't know. I don't know. What do journalists I,
2: think? I don't know. I don't know either. I, I don't know. I don't know what to call it either. But I, I certainly do. I, I try and connect with people. Um, I think that Twitter, more than anything, is a networking tool. More than a, like thing that drives people to your website or your place of work, right? Like if you look at the analytics on that, uh, very, there's such a low click through rate on Twitter that that doesn't really help you at all. Um, what does help you is getting your work in front of people and connecting with people who can, uh, potentially be people who follow you to other places and, uh, you know, being able to communicate messages with people. And I have fun with Twitter just because it's such a, it's such a quick way to just give your thoughts. Like it's, it's a quick way to connect with your, uh, you know, the people who follow you and want to hear what you say. And I've been lucky enough to build up enough of a following now to where, you know, people, people, I guess are interested. Do, do you in the remember way, the so.
1: first thing that you posted that like, you got a bunch of engagements on like the first article that either, you know, you posted it and people were like, Oh, Sam's an idiot. Or like, Oh, Sam, this Sam, this guy's really, really smart. Do you remember a particular piece like that?
2: I don't. No. Um yeah, no. I I don't yeah, I don't to be honest. I I'm trying to like think back, but I, yeah, I don't really it, it's one of those things where I mean, let's let's look at my Twitter account real quick. I have 92,000 <laughs> tweets, which is just way too bad. I don't know I don't know if it is, bad.
1: especially now with the way the athletic is, you know, you're you're there because the athletic believes that people want to buy your work, right? Like that's it's a subscription-based service. So at now Twitter might be more important than ever, right? Because you know, people are, are there because of your name, pretty much. And I, and I know, like obviously, the fieldhouse is is broken down a little bit differently. But you know, I, I think about the the people that write for that site with you, and it's you know Dane O'Neill, like Smalls and I are both Philly guys, like you know, grew up reading Dane O'Neill. Seth Davis is on TV all the time, and and I I think that Twitter now is almost more important because people need to be in front of you, right? They need to know your opinions on things because when you put you put out a piece on Rutgers you know, maybe they see like, oh, Sam was tweeting about Rutgers the last two weeks. Like now I want to read this because I haven't gotten a chance to watch him, but they're going to be on TV this weekend, maybe against Michigan or something. Right.
2: Right. And just in general, you know, this is kind of how I feel about media. It's just that the barrier to entry has broken down so much and the barrier to your readers and to your listeners and to the people who follow your work is next to none now. And it's a, To me, people who don't use their social media accounts to connect with the people who read and follow them are kind of wasting a potentially incredibly valuable tool. And uh, that's the way that I always have wanted to interact. It's why you see more, you know, over-the-top services and cord cutting within television. There's not not really a place for middlemen in this industry anymore. I think that more and more we're going away from that. Uh, people just want to connect with the people that they like. It's another reason why our news media is so segmented and problematic in a lot of ways. People just want to connect with who they like. And you can do that so easily now and get messages directly to you now that, you know, I think that tools like that, like you said, are just incredibly important to the way people consume media now.
0: Yeah, and, and that kind of brings me to something I wanted to ask you about, especially for young people. Uh, how have you networked? Obviously, using social media and connecting with people, but how have you specifically networked within the industry? Especially considering you've worked on teams with guys all over the country. Role, like, do you have role models within the industry? You know, things like that.
2: Yeah, no, I absolutely have role models and like mentors, and you know, I, I consider you know, both Gary Parish and Jeff Goodman, two people that have been really helpful to me. Matt Moore, as I've mentioned a couple of times now, uh, you know, just kind of talking to them on the phone and saying, hey, I'm kind of thinking about this. Uh, you know, how would this be received? How can I go about succeeding doing this? How can I go about that? It, you know, having people throughout the industry is really, really, really important. And I think that at the end of the day, my Twitter account has mostly been the reason how I've done that. And, you know, I've had people from NBA teams reach out to me and said, oh, I see your work here. I see, you know, seeing you on Twitter and what you say has made me uh, follow your work over at CBS or over at The Athletic. And, uh, you know, I think that it certainly helps you network in that way. And that's one way I've gone about it. You know, I'm someone who You know, I'm cool with going out and talking to people like I don't have an aversion to talking to people, but I'm not necessarily like the most forward person. Like I'm not going to I'm not going to be someone that's like in your face and like introducing myself to everyone. I'm sure that you guys have met people like that that will take it way over the top. And it's
0: it's funny you say that just because we are our last episode actually comes out tomorrow is Kevin Driscoll. And, you know, within coaching, he's an assistant coach at Loyola. How he came up was making sure he was visible and you know talking to different people. So I think that's just that's probably just like a difference between the industries and then just the person as well. But I think yeah. there, there's two different paths or well, there's I also multiple. Think he, paths. It's a little bit of different in in the age too. Like Kev's a little bit older than Smalls and I, but Sam,
1: you're you're <laughs> right around our age, yeah. obviously. I think you're a year younger than me, maybe, and and that means you and Smalls are the same age and we just communicate a little bit differently, right? Like we text message a lot, like you're just not on the phone quite as much anymore. You know, you're emailing a ton, you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, all that stuff. And so I think that's a little bit different too. But in coaching too, it's odd because- everybody makes it seem like you've just got to be the most gregarious guy, right? You got to own the room, but there are some unbelievably good head coaches out there at the high major level who are not like that. Right. Like one guy I think of immediately yeah. is mm-hmm. Archie Miller's just like, not a guy that that you walk into a room and he owns the room. Like he's just, he's a guy that grinds it out. He works really hard and he's just not somebody that needs to come in and, and, and shake everybody's hand, but it's hard because like, that's what they want you to do. You know, like ADs and stuff want you to be the guy with the donors and, you know, raising money and rah-rah and firing everybody up. But it's just not always that way. And, and I think that's one of the better parts about sports now is that's becoming a lot more accepted, that there are multiple ways to be very, very good at what you do and multiple ways to network within what you do so you don't have to pick up the phone 150 times and just call whoever you want. But
2: Well, yeah, co- coaching is such a different ball game because the, the gatekeepers to that industry are, you know, almost universally going to be over 50 right? And people over 50 obviously have a very different way of communicating than people who aren't. And I think that, you know, in Archie's case, you know, Archie is one of the, you know, super geniuses of college basketball coaching, right? Um, He he just rose to a level so quickly and had proven himself so strongly that it didn't matter that the gatekeepers were there. He was just someone that was going to succeed because he was in like the top, Zero zero or point zero 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 one percent of his industry. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see how younger coaches are affected by that going forward. You know, how, how big of a influence does the fact that there's such a clear difference nowadays in communication style wow. between older and younger people that, you know, does it, how does it affect the way that people go about getting, co- getting coaching jobs? Like I've talked to, quite a few coaches already that are pretty disillusioned by the entire process of coaching, by recruiting, by the way that they go about it. So I I wonder if we're losing younger coaches because of all of the That's actually
1: like one of the main reasons why we started to do this podcast was that like, there are so many young guys that were like, well, I can't do it. You know what I mean? I'm not the right type of guy. Like, and and it's not that way. You know what I mean? One, you got to be lucky. That's probably the most important part. But like, proving loyalty yeah. and ability and work ethic. Like, when you find a head coach, like, there's going to be somebody that believes in you. And and that was the point of, like, the conversation we had with our, our, you know, Coach Driscoll was just that, like, he, one person called him back. But that's all it really takes, you know, to give you some guidance and stuff. and But I agree with you, Sam. Mm-hmm. Like, I think now, especially with the recruiting aspect of it, like, people just don't think it's worth it because you, you just have to grind so hard to make the type of money to make it worth it. Because you just... It's hard. Like, can you have a family? Like, can you go see Star Wars on a Thursday night? You know, can you go volunteer? It's, a, it's, it's just a difficult yep. thing. And that, that's where I do think sports is, is fun, though, because there are so many different avenues to make it right. Like I, I would imagine, Sam, and, and we'll go into some college basketball stuff, NBA draft stuff in a second. But, but I would imagine like you would you would be able to put yourself up there with with most young coaches in terms of being able to break down tape and evaluate players, especially at the high school. level, Right. Like you would feel pretty strongly mm-hmm. in that regard.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would, but I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of coaches out there and be like, that guy's a fucking idiot. No, no way you could do that. But like, I'm sure that if I didn't have to write 12,000 words a week and record three podcasts a week, I could devote even more time to tape and probably be fine. Um, it's yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's I, I feel good about what I do. I, I feel like I put the work in and, you know, I'm sure that everyone's not happy with what I write. <laughs>
1: I will say this, though. The, the one thing that I think that uh, coaches just generally overlook, and, and I remember this from my time with the Sixers and with the the with, at College of Charleston, like you don't really watch a ton of stuff that isn't on your schedule. So like I remember last year talking to one of my really closest friends in the industry before the NCAA tournament about Lonzo Ball. And like he was asking me, like, how good do you think he is? And I was like, oh, Q, like this dude can really play. And he hadn't even—I mean, he had never seen UCLA play because, like, you know, why would he? Like, they didn't play any of the teams on the schedule, like. And you just have to stay so engaged with what you're doing. So, yeah, he could break down, you know, how good Hofstra is, and and if Roque's Gusties is a is a draft prospect. But he had no clue about, you know, a guy like Jawan Evans or Lonzo Ball because you just, you know, you don't end up watching those guys because it's just it's it's a bad use of your time. So, like, I would say, you know, you probably watch a lot more basketball. It's just not quite as focused as what other guys would watch because I I could tell you every team in the CAA and what they ran and who their best players were and all that stuff and that year in 2014 like I don't think I could have told you one thing about ACC teams that weren't right and and like
2: in the CAA I can tell you that like Towson is really good right now and that College of Charleston is like fine right now but like I can't really go too much farther beyond that you know it's like just a totally different job like it's just not what I like I have to target my time. You know, just like you guys have to target your time and you know, I'm lucky enough that my job is to basically target my time around the most popular things.
1: Right. So speaking of, speaking of targeting your time around the most popular things and, I, and it's funny that we do this podcast today cuz um I'm curious what you think right now based on having watched college basketball, and I'm sure you've watched Luka Doncic as well. Uh, wh- what do you think this year about this draft class? Like, who do you think is going to go number one, and who would you pick number one?
2: Yeah, I would probably take Doncic ahead of everyone. Um, the only caveat there for me is that, like, I think DeAndre Ayton probably is the high ceiling of anyone in the draft. Uh, he's seven foot one, he's 260 pounds, has a 40 inch vertical leap is, has like a seven foot six wingspan, uh, can shoot threes, can shoot from the mid range and can do, he can do like every single thing that a basketball player wants to do. Like, I think he's going to defend at some point, even though there are concerns about that right now. Um, it, it's just all about motor with him. And if he's going to play hard and if he's going to take the time to learn the little intricacies of defense, uh, if he does that, then yeah. I mean, if you could guarantee me that he's going to try his hardest and like do everything he needs to do, then yeah, I'd probably take him number one. But I don't know if he's going to do that. Uh, Luka Doncic, we have a proven track record of him just like kicking ass and just absolutely beating the shit out of NBA players. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. Like, it's
1: crazy. The stuff that the stuff that like people just see on Twitter because like Euroleaks that just doesn't post a lot. But if you watch his film, like it's his feel at 18 years old is wild. Like, like I don't, I, I don't think he's a point guard. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like maybe he is. But man, it's great to have that guy as a secondary creator on the wing if he's not a point guard. I, I, but I agree a little bit. Like he may. It, what I think is insane about this class, and you can tell me if, if I'm wrong. Like he's already really, really good. But yeah, he may have like the third or fourth highest ceiling if guys get as good as they can be. Because like Mo Bamba, if he's as good as people think he can be, like that, that's a stud, you know? And, and he might go like sixth or seventh in the draft, right? You know, Michael Porter, we've had people tell us that he's Trace McGrady or Kevin Durant, you know? So if, if he's as good as he can be, like that could be better than Doncic. I don't know. And And again, Marvin Bagley, you know, John Sharks on The Ringer had a really good article today about, you know, where he plays next year. But again, like Marvin Bagley is just a certified like animal, like his motor is really high. and He rebounds out of area like he makes shots. And I don't know, man, there's a lot of really interesting prospects. And I'm curious, do you think that this year's college basketball season, will we see those guys go head to head? Do you think like Duke and Arizona will be there at the end of the year?
2: Maybe. I mean, this the one thing I've been saying about this college basketball season, even before it started, is that I think the talent level is a lot flatter. Generally, and the reason for that, I think, in a, in large part is because over the last two years, on average, 60 players have left for the NBA draft. Whereas over the previous four years or five years to that, it was only like 45 or so. So think about that. Like 30 of the potential top best players in college basketball are now playing in the NBA or now, you know, playing over in Europe or something because of the new early entry rule that allowed them to test their stock and they decided they wanted to be pro. Um, That's totally cool, but I do think that it has flattened out the talent level quite a bit. In addition to that, I think that this recruiting class, while it was very good at the top and Marvin Bagley's addition in August certainly helped that uh, it's not quite as deep as what 2017 was, or I guess the 2016 recruiting class, 2016, 17 freshman class was. So in general, I would say that I can't really even come close to predicting if Duke is going to be there. And it's why we've seen so many random losses, you know, seemingly random losses at the beginning of the year. Uh, Just there are so many good teams out there. There are very few great teams out there, I think, this year.
0: Are Are there some sleepers coming in the NBA draft from college that you think might go, you know, in that 20 range or 15 range who can be really good NBA players?
2: Yeah. The guys that I always look at for those, for those spots are the wings, right? Like the the wing position in the NBA just has the lowest threshold to making the league because it's such a difficult position, obviously, like you have to be six foot six and you have to have long arms and you have to be able to handle the ball a little bit, or you have to be able to just knock down threes at a 40% clip and you have to be athletic. Like it's really, really hard to do that all in one single player. So like, I always look at guys like Jacob Evans at Cincinnati, six foot six, 210 pounds, long arms, shoots the three ball really well, has some point guard skills, uh, defends his ass off just under Mick Cronin like everyone else at Cincinnati does. Uh, yeah. So like, I like him. Uh, I like Chandler Hutchison at Boise state a decent amount. Like as a guy in the thirties who might, he's a senior, he's like 22 years old. Um, you know, Very high feel guy, fluid athlete, not like the most explosive guy, but can get out and transition and go. Um, The shooting is the key with him. If he can shoot the ball, he'll be, uh, I think like he can be a sneaky, like Kuzma-y, like he's a little bit smaller than Kyle Kuzma, but, uh, and that'll hold him back a little bit, but like he can be like that, you know, combo three, four forward that a lot of teams are looking for. Uh, I'm trying to think of a couple other guys in the teens. This is a weird draft because. I think there's a distinct drop off after like nine or so. And then you go through like 10 to like 25, and you're like, eh, I don't really know if I want any of these guys. Like, we we don't know what Shake Milton is yet. Like, we don't know what Mitchell Robinson is yet because he hasn't played college basketball and hasn't played against anyone tough. I have no idea what Robert Williams is. He's had four points over his last like six games. Uh, But like, then you look at guys like, The people I just mentioned and you look at Alonzo Trier, who's going to get buckets at any level he plays at. And you look at like Raleigh Alkins, who's six five and super tough and will probably defend at the NBA level. Like there's some sneaky guys out there that you can see making an impact, like at a higher than normal rate from 30 to like 45.
1: Yeah, I think that too, with this year's draft class, like that it's just, there's a bunch of dudes that you're just kind of like, okay, they could be good. They might be D-league guys. They might be overseas guys. Like it's it's odd. And I saw Chandler Hutchinson play, they played CFC last year in the Charleston Classic. And I watched him thinking like, it was amazing that he was at Boise State just because he was like so skilled, you know? And that's not something you typically find at like a lower level. And Boise's like pretty well coached too. Like they ran good stuff. Like I was pretty impressed with him and I was surprised not not necessarily surprised that people were saying his name, but I was surprised that he showed up on like big boards earlier in this year. Just that because I wasn't sure that like you know people see Boise State a lot. It's just not a guy that you know you. I don't know. You got to be like on Feast Week, right? At like ten p.m., like eating <laughs> your second helping of turkey, and and you're you're watching. But you're like, who's this guy in the blue? Like he's pretty good. Yeah. And then you start you know doing a little more of a deep dive. Yeah, um, I remember sitting I'll next say-
2: to him. I'm sorry, I remember sitting next to Mike Schmitz at. The Wooden Legacy event in twenty, I guess that might have been like twenty fifteen, uh, not even like the one last year. The year before that, when he was a sophomore, and averaged like six points a game, and we both looked at him, and we were like, "Holy shit, that guy is like is going to be awesome in two years. Might be an NBA player." It was like it was
1: like when when I worked at Temple, and like Mikkel Bridges was at Great Valley, and he was younger, and like everybody in the city wanted him, and he wasn't really a highly ranked guy, and like we knew like people knew he was going to redshirt, and we took him on a tour, and then like watched him play in like a high school semifinal in Leo league center and you're just like yeah you can see it like if he puts it together he's going to be really really good and now you know we're five years later and mikhail bridges is maybe a lottery pick you know what i mean because like he goes to the right spot for him and, and villanova's player development is really good and like all of a sudden you're like damn like <laughs> you could see it when he was 6'6 you know 128 pounds that when he started making shots and be able to put the ball down that like that's that's a, a, a new age nba guy you know um, yep.
2: no, absolutely. What do you,
1: outside of your profession, you know, I'm just curious here, yeah, everybody knows you as a Twitter handle or byline. Like what, what are you doing for fun other than going to drink beers and volunteer? You know, what are you doing <laughs> in the, in the Hollywood Hills out there in California?
2: Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, live like directly in the middle of Hollywood. So we, uh, my girlfriend and I, uh, we go out and we go see movies a bunch. Um, we'll go out and have drinks sometimes. There's a lot of really good food out here, obviously. So we'll go out and do dinner occasionally, but you know, most of the time I'm honestly sitting at home and you know, if I'm not watching basketball, I'm watching just a TV show or something like that. I, uh, I'm very, very relaxed. My, uh, my years of drinking have slowly but surely died. Although like last Friday for my girlfriend's sister's birthday, we went out like to North Hollywood and- did that whole thing and got home at like two o'clock. So that was, that was, that was most of the reason why on Saturday (laughs) I got to stay home and watch Trey young. (laughs)
0: Well, uh, and last question for me before we jump into segments, what what are the ultimate career goals and how do you kind of set those goals and aspirations?
2: See, like, so with my girlfriend being from Australia, like I can't promise you that in five years I'm going to live in America. You know what I mean? So like, I'm not like I'm someone who just does the absolute best job. I can do it, what I'm doing and assume people will notice. And I try to create opportunities for myself. Like that's why I have my own podcast that I own and produce and do everything on. Like I, I want to be able to be a versatile, uh, useful person within any industry that I work in. And I think that a lot of the reason for that is just generally I don't really try and create plans for myself. I just try and put myself out there and hope that people enjoy what I do and hope that people see that I'm just genuine and don't really fuck around and just like write about basketball and just have fun.
1: Yeah, you're and you're talking to two guys, both who, who have moved for our significant others as well. So not necessarily out of the country, but I did from uh, Charleston to Nashville. And mm-hmm. Smalls did just a smaller move from, from Philly to, to your hometown of Pittsburgh, PA. But, mm-hmm. you know, so we, we we get that, you know, where you're just kind of sitting there and you're like, OK, what's going to happen in my life? Where, where am I going to be in five years? So I'm excited for, you know, when you put out your website doing the analytics of Australian rules football. <laughs> and we, we learn a little bit about, you know. I don't know Melbourne. They got the best team, Melbourne or, or Canberra or something like that. So I'm,
2: I'm looking forward to it. Crazy thing is, uh-huh. like that. Apparently, the Australian rules football deal like has the most advanced like stats of any sport like in the world. <laughs> so because so you're there's like so oh, much you're like really
0: on. excited. You're like <laughs> you're going nuts. <laughs> probably watching, you're yeah. like watching Australian football till three a.m.
2: Yeah, I'm going to be just going. You know, if I end up over there, like I'm just going to be trying to figure out the best way to do that. Uh,
0: all right, we're, we will.
1: Uh, we'll go into segments, and this is this is my favorite segment. Smalls loves the city review, but I love Rothstein's. These are named after <laughs> our, our friend John Rothstein, and so <laughs> for scouts and evaluators, we, we we put them on the spot. We're going to give you five players, and and you know you know the drill. It's so much blank in blank. So. The first player is is a guy that I know is one of your personal favorites in college basketball, and that's uh, Alabama guard Colin Sexton.
2: Um, I would say there's so much Damian Lillard and Colin Sexton just in the way that he has just a fuck you mentality and he wants to murder you every time he goes <laughs> on the floor.
1: He does. He does have my favorite like GIF of the year of him in the three on five game, like. Asking Richard Bettino if Rich could take a timeout so he can get a breather <laughs> in a game where he's just giving his guys buckets and he's like, Yo, can you take a timeout? I'm tired.
2: He does that shit all the time. It's great. Like he uh he'll do that. Like there was one play against UT Arlington where he literally told uh Eric Neal, the opposing point guard, I'm going to the bucket this play, try and stop me. Drove right by him and got the and one. It was just like, okay, whatever. You're ridiculous, Colin.
1: I just think we need more
2: we need more stuff
1: like that you know like it's fun man like less less LeVar ball more Colin Sexton that's that's what we need in our lives uh maybe the opposite of Colin Sexton on this next one uh Jalen Brunson
2: oh man Jalen is unique that's really hard uh I'm trying to think of like the least athletic player like in the NBA that plays guard because that that's kind of what Jalen is um yeah man I'm going to have to think about this one. Uh, oh man. Um, I wish I would have thought about these beforehand. I would say you could go I would, if you want. Yeah. That gets hard for me being 27, but like, I mean like kind of, he's like kind of like better Fred Van Vliet, like so much better Fred Van Vliet <laughs> in Jalen Brunson. <laughs> like a, <laughs> I love that. Uh Like I think Jalen Brunson, like he's another guy I could have mentioned, like in the sleeper section. Like I have him as like a top 45 guy in this draft, and I feel like no one else does. Because I'm just like, okay, that guy's gonna be a backup point guard in the NBA. I can just about guarantee you. He's just so okay.
0: So (laughs) to the next one. Uh so much blank in Robert Williams.
2: So much blank in Robert Williams. I would say that Robert Williams. I would have said like so much Serge Ibaka and Robert Williams last year. Cause I thought that he could kind of shoot the ball a little bit, mm. but I don't really think that way anymore. I would probably say so much. I need to need to find the the blocks list. Cause that's really all he can do right now. Uh, so much, so much Bismack Biombo and Robert Williams. There's really like, no, like that's really not a good comparison because I think that he is a, Better offensive player than Biombo, but like you know, m- maybe so much Marquise Chris and Robert. Williams oh, I like that. I think is a better there one. Maybe so much, so much Marquise Chris because he does dumb shit on the floor all the time, and you just are left wanting more when you watch him play.
0: All right, next one's Trey Trey Holder,
2: little point guards. Okay. I would say so much. Hmm. There's like a little bit. So much Tyler Ulis and Trey Holder. Like he has that like constant attack, 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 attack mentality. Code, yeah. And yeah, and he shoots really well off the dribble too, which is a sneaky thing that Tyler always did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say like there's a lot of Tyler Eulis. He's small, but he's feisty. He's tough and he can really shoot it off the dribble.
0: And that's like a guy out your way. And like that it's funny. Like we kind of talked about it, but we don't get to see all of those players just being on the East. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that like we, we don't stay up and unless we get back on synergy or something like that. And the last one I'm going to do here, and I'm just going to shorten the name to too Mitu, Chimezi. Yeah, Chimezi. Chimezi but, yeah, I, you know, I read a thing that, you know, people – a lot of people started calling him Chim, so I kind of like yeah. the Chim. I,
2: yeah, but, no, he goes by Chim uh, out here. <laughs> I would say he's like kind of a three-point shooter who – block shots and you know can do some can do some other small stuff but uh for the most part those are going to be his two skills Epe like when Epe Udo came out of college, he wasn't quite as refined as he is now. I would maybe say like there's a decent amount of Epe Udo as like a shot blocker who's mobile and athletic, but might take a little bit of time still to develop his game and you know make it as an NBA role player in the way that Udo has now. He's really really good for Utah, um, but I would say like so much Epe Udo and. Chimezi Matu.
0: That's cool because it, it, we we gave you really tough raw stains. um I think because you know you're you're so in within the game, so we wanted to make it a little tougher. Um, but those <laughs> those are really good comparisons. So I'm all in. We're gonna jump to our next segment, and like Tyler said, uh, this is my favorite segment. It's the City Review. Kind of have you, you know, me and Tyler are coming to this place for the weekend, and I'm going to use Columbus, Ohio, where you went to college, and you're taking us for a whole weekend. We're coming in Friday, like evening, and we're leaving Sunday around the early afternoon.
2: I would say Friday night, we are going to go to probably Gasworks downtown. Uh they have dollar like bombs of anything, so like cherry bombs, Jaeger bombs, anything like that. And they're like half shots, but like they're we'll go do that. They have good beer and stuff there. Um probably stay there for a little while and go out around the town downtown. Um Saturday, maybe do like the short north, which I've been told is like build up. We'll go out, do that whole thing during the day, then figure out what we want to do at night. Food wise is tough. I would say food wise is probably Thurman's for a burger at some point. But I mean, I'm trying to think of like other food places. Like, do y'all like Greek food? Do y'all like like what kind of food are you looking for when I you mean, go to? Columbus? I mean,
0: I'm I have some Greek in my blood, and I do love a good Greek meal. And I don't think Greek's been brought up on the city review yet. So I I, I'll take that stroll with you and go to go with some Greek food.
2: So, yeah, there's a place called Apollo's right on campus at Ohio state. It's where you go and, you know, you get like a really drunk like gyro basically whenever you're at the end of the night or whenever you've been like day drinking or whatever. And then you grab one of those, it tastes really good and you're set to go out the rest of the night. Um, I I would say that Saturday night's a tough one because I don't really know. I haven't been there long enough. Like, I was there this summer, but uh, we didn't really do like the crazy going out thing. So, Saturday would probably be downtown again, but I don't really have a spot. <laughs> well, what, what?
0: So, Saturday, is there any like kind of activities you want to take us? Should we do an Ohio State game or?
2: Uh, well, basketball, if it's football season, yes, you should do a football uh You know, go see Ohio stadium, go tailgate, do that. What's
0: what's that event like? Was that something you did a lot in college? And was that everything it's cracked up to be? Cause I've never been to the, you know, the horse show, I believe is what they call it.
2: The first two years I did it more than the second two years I was there. The second two years I was there, we tended just to like go to a bar or stay in and drink and, you know, play drinking games and watch like four games at once. Um, the first two years, though, we would go and we would do the tailgate thing. It's fun. It's an experience. It's one of those experiences you should do like maybe like once a year or something, but not like every single weekend of the year uh, when there's a football game there. Uh, it's fun. It's a good time, but it gets old after a little while. And sometimes you just want to stay in and have beers with your friends.
0: <laughs> I like it. So what's the last thing on the agenda? Like Sunday, where are we, where are we going? Is there like, do you like brunch or is there a special spot? And then you're sending us off on our way. One last memory.
2: Man, Sunday is a tough one too. Sunday, I would say, I'm trying to think, like we typically just went to like Chipotle or something like on Sundays just to like, Get all of the alcohol possible soaked up into our system um I'm down yeah. for a little
0: chain burrito I'm in I like Chipotle I'd say,
2: I'd say like Chipotle would be like a fine little stop before you head out. let me ask you something what what kind of like
0: what's your chipotle order kind of like I mean probably a burrito right? Like
2: normal? Well, or used to be burrito. Now I tend to go with a bowl or even a salad sometimes. Like I actually kind of like the lettuce. The, the dressing's uh, pretty good too. That they that's do. the thing. That's what I love. I love the dressing on it. Um, But most of the time I'll go bowl, brown rice, chicken uh, with the fajitas and pinto beans. And then... Mostly the works I would say uh, I go with the, both the mild and the hot salsa. I don't you do the You salsa. have to
0: cuz the mild gives you the texture with the tomato, right? And then you got the hot, and you got a little spice with that that salad. It's perfect.
2: I'm yeah, 100% sure. agreed and then you do the corn, you do sour cream, cheese, lettuce, you know, everything with it. Sam. No, I don't do guacamole though.
0: I I'm I don't either. I don't either. I'm with you. I think we're going to get along on Sunday. We're going to have a good Chipotle trip, and maybe we'll invite Tyler. (laughs) Tyler, All right. Well, now that Smalls and Sam are done
1: uh, having their Chipotle uh, bro battle out there that I'm not allowed to go to, apparently, uh, we're going to get into 10 touches, uh, 30-second answers, 10 questions, pretty much the same questions for every guest. I got the first five. Sam, who's the funniest person you've ever interviewed?
2: Funniest? Wow. That's a really good one. Uh, I would say funniest is probably, I like Buddy Healed a lot. Buddy, you know, I talk very fast. Buddy, if you've ever heard him on an interview, also talks very, very fast. Um, I went through my interview like with him. Is it recorded? I talked to him for like 20 minutes and I had the same amount of words that I did in like a typical 40 minute interview. Uh, we just kept going back and forth. He was great.
1: Uh, what is one thing you would change about college hoops if you could? Obviously, one and done's been super popular. Anything other than one and done, you would change?
2: I, I pro. I mean, like, I don't really have an issue with the one and done. To be honest, like, I would prefer that kids could go pro out of high school just from a moral standpoint. But I think that the thing that frustrates me most is the block charge rule. Um, it's really bad in college, and I think that the easiest way you can go about changing it is that once the offensive player leaps there are no more charges they're either blocks or incidental contacts or no calls so once a player takes off then it's just not a charge Uh, but there are still like ground charges and you know you can't just fucking run over sam
1: are you telling me that you don't want to see like in a big big 10 game like ted valentine at half court sprinting to the baseline to call a charge when someone on michigan state slides underneath someone (laughs) on ohio state like you don't need that in your life anymore
2: yeah, don't fucking stand there holding your dick so that you don't get hit in the dick and actually make a play on the basketball. That's what I want.
1: Uh, all right, what is, you said you watch a lot of TV. What's your current favorite book and your current favorite TV show?
2: Current favorite TV show, you know, I really like Justified a lot uh, from, I think, it, yeah, I it was on FX. Uh, I think it ended in 2015, early 2015, either early 2016, maybe. Um, favorite book is a really good question. I, Oh man, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, like Mark Titus is a friend of mine, but I fucking love Titus's book. Uh, don't put me in coach. Like, I think it's incredible. I think it's hilarious.
1: I, uh, I was telling Smalls that like when I was coaching, I, I've always been a big reader myself and like, I've always had a ton of books and I always end up giving them away. Or I like let people read them and then I never get them back. And like Mark Titus's book was one that like I read it one time and I was thinking to myself, I've been listening to, you know, one shining podcast and stuff and like, i was like man i really want to read that book again and and i have no idea who i lent it to because i don't own it anymore i don't know where it is but it's that book is hilarious and the greg odin stories are ridiculously good like just so funny right like the nerf gun greg odin story in that book (laughs) i I had tears streaming down my face
2: yeah no then there's like the one story about him and i think like a fellow hunter or something like in a, a hotel room it's you know, everything about that is amazing. Um I'm trying to think of like a couple other like random books that I read. Like I'm, I'm like reading through the Harry Bosch books and like the Jack Reacher books right now. Um Those are pretty good. But now uh, give me give me Mark Titus making dick jokes over uh, my my else.
1: favorite. I don't know. Sam, did you read the Club Trillion blog before he was like really famous?
2: Um. A little bit here and there. It was definitely a thing at Ohio State. Like, I'm two years younger than him, I think. So, like, it was kind of a thing. But, you know, I've read it, like, here and there. The the
1: elevator story with Walter Offit is one. Like, Mark is just an amazing storyteller, I think. And, and, you know, we don't know him. Like, I, I would love to talk to him. But, like... The Walter Offit like ele- getting stuck in the elevator story was like one of the funniest things. I remember reading that blog and sending it to every single person I knew and being like, "This is the funniest piece of sports writing." I, he's a journalist now, which is incredible, right? Um, I guess you, I guess I know the answer to this question, but I'll ask it anyway. What would you be doing if you weren't working in sports? I guess you'd be in film or TV writing, but I'll, I'll let you answer.
2: Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I, uh, you know, like if I could pick anything. I would, I mean, maybe like I would start my own business, to be honest. I don't really know what that business would be in. Like maybe, you know, like I would start my own like online portal or something if I had like the venture capital backing to do it, Um, you know, something like that maybe. But, you know, I think it'd probably be best if I was working in Hollywood doing something um, like that.
1: What is the best moment you've covered live?
2: Probably the Chris Jenkins shot. Uh, I was... I would say I was seven feet from Chris Jenkins uh, sitting courtside when he hit that shot. Like I was literally um, like probably one of the six or seven closest people like sitting on the baseline covering the event when he hit that shot. That was like
1: Mm -hmm. a relatively bittersweet moment. So Smalls and I are both Temple guys, worked at Temple, obviously worked, went you know, and and played Villanova a bunch. And then I really like Chris Jenkins for my time, like working the AAU scene and stuff. Just a super nice kid and my wife's whole family went to Villanova, but it is just really hard to root for Villanova. Like, even even in that sense, they're playing North Carolina, who's easy to root against, and, like, I still was like, man, I wish Chris Jenkins had missed that shot. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why, man. I typically don't root negative for people, but, like, I'm going to put it out there. Like, Chris Jenkins makes arguably the greatest college basketball shot of our lifetime. If not, you know, other than what, like, I, I guess, I don't know, I was three when Christian Leitner made the bucket against Kentucky, but, like, Man, I just couldn't get on board, Sam. I just couldn't.
0: Yeah, I was in a little <laughs> dive bar called Rochi's in, like, pretty much right That's next like to Villanova's campus. Yeah, and, and, and but uh, no, nah, but it was like it was fine. So I was growing, there. Smalls was like, a
1: Nova season ticket holder. Don't let him feed you this bill of goods. Well, This dude grew up with Villanova.
0: My dad, well, is still, but um, yeah, I grew up with you know Steve Lapis. But I this is the i did one of those like wow like like i was like kind of yeah. stunned <laughs> like i just heard everyone's going crazy like spraying beer and i was like wow that was like a really special shot like i've, I've sounded like a 12 year old high school girl <laughs> 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 it's, like that was cool they're like don't you coach basketball i was like ah, i don't know all right um
2: <laughs> kind of <laughs> i don't know if i want to after that shot
0: <laughs> wildest moment you've seen at an au tournament
2: Um, I was at the LaMelo Ball Zion Williamson game this summer where like there were a million people watching it live on Facebook. Like I would go over to other parts of the arena. And so Scott Cross at UT Arlington, uh, he is the head coach at UT Arlington. I talked to him the next day and he told me that he was at another court like right down this like uh you know down the walkway it was was at the the center right yeah 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 yeah. happened at court five and he's like yeah i was watching it on my phone because i didn't want to go over there and look (laughs) at this shit like i didn't want to deal with all that stuff and i was like that's hilarious first and foremost but like um yeah that was it like you literally could not move you had people like pushing up against you like i think that who, I think it was LeBron got turned around, yeah, Or, he, or he, was like, he was like, like gonna he was like going to
1: show up and they called him and they were like, it's don't, don't come. Right. That's what I thought it was that like the fire marshal was oh, there. No,
2: like he, yeah, he like legit showed up and the fire marshal told him, please don't come in. Uh, you know, this will just create such a massive, you know, headache for like, Sam, Let me. Let me do, we don't,
1: we don't talk about the ball family very often, unless we're speaking glowingly of, of Lonzo, who I, I like as a player, but you're, you, you live in California. You know, I, I am quite sure you saw Chino Hills and the, and the big ballers on the AAU circuit. Like, what, what do you think of that? Spe- like, I, and I'm not even negative. Like, I, I would say that I, I kind of like, you know, like if Lavar wants to go out and make a bunch of money like this, like you act like an idiot, but it's whatever. Like, what do you think about the ball family? I, I hesitate to say spectacle because I don't want to come off as negative. Because in reality, I, I don't really care one way or the other. But I'm curious because you were kind of in that, you know, region. Because people on the East Coast, like they didn't know anything about Levar Ball until it was UCLA, but I did see. You know, I I, I used to work a little bit with Dinos Trigonis. and and you know he told me like th- Levar's been doing this since Lonzo was in eighth grade, and no one knew who he was. So like, you know, how That's do you true. feel about <laughs> this this kind of situation that we're seeing now?
2: Yeah, D- Dino's is not a fan of the Ball family the, he, uh, of the of the Levar Ball spectacle. He, is not,
1: <laughs> he he is not a fan. Uh, he likes Lonzo as a player though. I will I will say that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, no, you know, like I've talked to LeVar before. Like, he's, every bit is on every time that you talk to him one-on-one. Is it's amazing. when he's on TV and doing other it's stuff. It's incredible. Um, yeah, so I, I come at it from a couple of perspectives. Like, you know, I think that, you know, prior to the Mello and leangelo stuff, you really couldn't make any other case other than the fact that he was a really good father who, uh, you know, rose— three kids that have been wildly successful by any standard so far, getting into UCLA and playing basketball there and Lonzo being a top five pick in the NBA draft and, you know, playing for the Los Angeles Lakers and uh, you know, being good students and stuff like that. Like I think that it was difficult to make the case beforehand that he was anything but a good father. And I, I appreciate that and I respect that. And I think it's great. Um, I think that a big problem with it is that, the media generally just doesn't have enough responsibility in terms of what they cover with Lovar. Like the fact that they cover him talking shit about Luke Walton right. is a problem to me. Uh, you know, like if he's doing something that is newsworthy, such as pulling his child out of UCLA, then sure, like talk to him. I think that that's important. But I think that there needs to be a better understanding of what is newsworthy and what isn't newsworthy, uh, within the industry as a whole. And I think that's where kind of the separation comes in. Like, do you, who do you want to blame for it? Do you want to blame LeVar for taking advantage of a fucked up media environment? Or do you want to take, uh, do you want to give the media the blame? As someone who works in the media, I think I'm more inclined to blame the media. Um, I think there's a responsible way to cover LeVar and I kind of try and do it that way just by doing what is interesting and important but uh you know i think that they often fall for the bait too often Yeah, and it it,
1: is also funny how the media covers his kids like you you know lonzo second pick in the draft whatever one of one of the best players in college basketball last year but like liangelo i just felt like people just always thought he sucked right like and obviously like I, i don't know that he was good enough to go to ucla based on what i saw but like being a mid-major plus basketball player is, you are really good at basketball. And, like, the average fan has no idea. Yes. They're just like, ah, he's not as good as Alonzo. He stinks. And then, like, LaMelo, legitimate high major prospect. Like, no question about it. Like, but but I just felt like it was so weird how, because of how vilified LaVar is, that, like, all of a sudden, you know, Jell-O Ball sucks and he's a thief. And, like, it, it just is, it's, like, amazing how it's spiraled from, UCLA has too many slow footed white guys to now it's like LeVar Ball against Donald Trump in like the battle for who America can hate the most. Oh, but they also hate each other. It's like like (laughs) fascinating, man. It's insane, really, is what it is. Uh, And and like, I try not to talk about it, but I am curious because, like I said, like the East Coast, you probably were not all that surprised about LeVar Ball last year. But the East Coast.
2: No, no. Like the first time I saw LeVar was. Him coaching at an AAU tournament, like, in 2014 or something. It was, it, it was something. the same thing, but the people, like, the people on the East
1: Coast and the Midwest, they had never seen anything like this before. And, like, I, I wanted to say to people, like, you know, AAU parents are very similar, and, and he is very similar to some of the worst I've ever seen. But the only difference is, like, his son was good enough to be the second overall pick, and now we stick cameras in his face. Like, I've seen a lot of people very similar to LeVar who just didn't have maybe this sort of opportunity, if you will. I guess we'll call it that, but... I don't know, Smalls. I'm sorry for derailing ten touches. You you know I I always have to do it though.
0: No, that that that's fine. Um,
2: let me let me do one more thing too though. So within that whole uh you know spectacle that I talked about is the wildest moment I've seen at AAU. Probably the wildest part of the wildest moment that I've seen in AAU is that Zion Williamson's coach. I don't know exactly who it was. The entire game was carrying a baby. Like, uh, or maybe not even a baby, like a two-year-old. It wasn't so maybe, like a like, tiny you know, a toddler. Kid. I remember and the that. Toddler, no, and the toddler was sleeping through the whole thing. Like there were literally thousands upon thousands of people around making noise. Uh, like just an insane environment. And This kid's fucking sleeping on this coach's I thought, shoulder. I thought, I, thought, I, thought, I thought Zion's. I thought Zion's dad coached South Carolina Supreme, but I don't think that was
1: his father, based on what I remember. But man, I, I do remember that on like mm-hmm. the Facebook live videos, because I'd be lying to you if I didn't tune in for like five to 10 minutes of that, just to be like, what is going on in Vegas, especially because it just broke, you know, we probably, you know, you have 50,000 more Twitter, uh, you follow 50,000 more people on Twitter than I do, but we probably have very similar Twitter follow lists and breakdowns. And it just broke, you know, like college hoops and high school hoops, Twitter, like it just was like, that's what everybody was tweeting about.
2: Well, like I didn't even have anything open. I was just sitting next to Jeff Borzello and we were like, what the fuck is going on right now? And like Jeff's saying way crazier shit than I have in AU. Oh,
1: it's it's amazing. And, and like, it's fascinating too that like LaMelo Ball has 3 million Instagram followers or yeah. whatever. And like it, him and Zion Williamson are just like legitimate appointment TVs, but they, appointment TV, but they aren't just appointment TV with people who pay, pay attention to basketball. Yeah. Like LaMelo Ball is a legitimate like, worldwide celebrity
2: yeah no it, it, and like when he got pulled out of high school there was like all this you know shit being talked from people that you know let's call them older curmudgeonly people who are upset about <laughs> life not being the same as when they grew up like i feel like we yeah. just generally don't understand like it's impossible for us to understand what lamello balls life is like being a legitimate celebrity trying to go to high school it's and like Chino Hills, yeah. California.
1: Yeah, like we, we talked about this on a previous podcast, and I don't remember who the podcast was with. Uh maybe Eric Hamford from Future one fifty, but like that's what I said, like there's not a lot of difference at this point between like LaMelo Ball at sixteen and like Justin Bieber at sixteen, except one is a basketball player. Yeah, yeah I'd agree. Like and, 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 like, Justin Bieber could go sell out shows and make a bunch of money. But if LaMelo Ball wants to go make money and not play in high school, that's, like, absolutely unheard of, which I think is just wild. And that's why, like, I don't know. I, I know what you mean, Sam. Just, like, it's a lot of old sports writers that just this is not what they're used to and it's just not okay. And and, and in reality, like, it really shouldn't matter. But and as long as CNN wants to put their <laughs> microphone in LaVar Ball's face, people will keep listening, I guess, which is fine. You know, I got no problem with yeah. that.
0: Anyway, small. Now, you, now you're up. No we're done. problem. We're done. You guys can do that. Speaking of whatever you guys were talking about, uh, best media spread. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is always interests me. The media spread is key. Food, drink. What school was it at? Was it a certain event?
2: I would say that I like Staples Center spread a decent amount.
0: Um, yeah, that's a, that's uh, a Hollywood. That's, guy. Yeah, that's it's called Hollywood rich guy, gosh, shit. I love it.
2: Um, yeah, it it just tends to be pretty good most of the time. Um, yeah, I don't really have like a strong take on it. Uh, just to me, it's a consistently strong media spread. Like the final four spreads, like they mix, they are sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, you know, a lot of places just do pizza, a lot of places like UCLA just does like sandwiches. Um Staples does some different stuff that I think. I
0: like that. Good. Best three social media follows.
2: Oh god. Um I would say. Huh. Um I enjoy PFT commenter yeah. quite a bit. Uh, yeah maybe the
1: maybe maybe the wittiest man in america in all honesty the wittiest guy just so quick
2: yeah i think that he's probably the most creative one uh in terms of just like in this troll age (laughs) like creating a troll troll account like a is just like amazing and him being as smart as he is just makes it all the better um let's see who else I enjoy John Favreau of like Pod Save America stuff just being out here and you know having the political views that I have um I'm trying to think who else like a lot of my favorite followers like aren't really sports people um no that's fine yeah. we're
1: we are pro any good Twitter follow in these in this day and age
2: um and I'm trying to think, man, uh who would be my third if I had to pick I would say. <laughs> I'm like scrolling through my <laughs> timeline furiously right now, by the way. Um, you know, like I enjoy Barstool Big Cat too. Like I, I read Barstool pretty regularly. Like I don't really have a problem with it. Um, I I find the people that are funny, uh, you know, the people who are most enjoyable to follow on Twitter.
1: We've talked about Barstool a couple of times too on the podcast and how like it's funny, like PFT and Big Cat have managed to – create this sort of like unassuming troll account where the things that they say are funny and they take shots at people, but they're not like hurtful or like aggressive. Yeah. It's like amazing how they've created their own brand. Like those two guys are just super intelligent, like super funny guys. And like, it's uh, PFT commentary just kills me on Twitter. Cause it's just like people say things to him and he just has like a really quick retort. Or like when they said they found like the secret chamber, in the pyramids and all he wrote, he just like retweeted. It was like man cave, you know what I mean? Like just stupid stuff like that. But those guys are great. I, I'm with
2: you. They're just funny. Like, to me, like, I just want to read funny yeah. shit most of the time. Um, or, like, something sarcastic that's not, like, just demolishing people on Twitter. Not, like, being a total yeah. dickhead. Like, that's that's what I, I mean, want.
0: Eviscer- eviscerating. Oh, that's yeah, the I'm, word. I'm just with that. I just, you know, I take it all in stride. That's kind of what they do, and I think it's funny. That's it. Like, I don't put any more emphasis into it that other people seem to... Yeah, like I'm,
2: I'm not going to sit here and defend Barstool no. to death. Like, you know, there's stuff I like, there's stuff I don't like. Cool, like, I like with people. everything, I'm going <laughs> to... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like right. people. Cool, I'm going to go All with it.
0: Greatest <laughs> place to watch a game.
2: Greatest place to watch a game. I would say that I enjoy attending hockey games more than I enjoy attending any other sport. So I would probably say uh the penguins new arena that they just renamed i think it's ppg yeah. paints yep. arena or something i really enjoy that i remember that my f- my favorite all time experience that i've ever been to watch a game was the old Mellon arena in pittsburgh where i went to see a senators penguins playoff game where the penguins were like 5 like in the first period that place was the loudest place i've ever attended in my entire life Uh, It was it was unbelievably fun. Uh, I would also point out the I went to a few Australian rules football games in Australia last time I went, and the Melbourne Cricket Ground is probably the most unique thing I've ever been to. It is the biggest stadium, and like you know, having gone to Ohio like Ohio State, like I've been to Ohio Stadium, like the MCG is uniquely large. In how overwhelming? How many people
1: fit? Like how many people? Can fit in that stadium, Sam? Do you know? Like, is 150,000?
2: Um, it is uh 121, I think, is the most they've ever had. Like, it is like the game that I went to only had like 70,000 people there or something, but. It, like just the building itself is so big that it's, it's not like intimidating. It's just very uniquely
0: large. Yeah, I, I like your uh, hockey answer too because I, I think I've said it and I've been shot down a lot. But there's nothing like being at a playoff hockey game, uh, just the electricity in the building. I've ne- I've never experienced anything like it.
1: Well, like, I, I, so I live in Nashville and, like, last year, obviously, the Preds were in the finals and, like, they, the, the, the Predators, I'm not a huge hockey guy. And, by all, you know, I was down on Broadway just because, like, you you, you got to go if something like that happens in your city. But, like, Nashville fans, like, they just will die on this hill that, like, they are the best fans in any sport, just Predators fans. And, and part of it's because, like, it's just a big party, right, Sam? I don't think they have any idea what they're cheering for or, like, the rules of the game. But it gets loud in Bridgestone Arena. Like it gets really, really loud. And like when we were we were down there, I think it was for Game Three was the first one that was in Nashville. I think the Pens had home ice, if I remember right. And it was like an absolute zoo. I mean, there had to be a hundred fifty thousand people just downtown, like on three blocks of street. And when they, you know, they won Game Three, but it was it was wild out there. So I mean, playoff hockey is cool. And this is coming from a guy who's not a real hockey
0: guy, yeah, not honestly.
2: Yeah, no, harp hundred percent.
0: He doesn't rock the sweater with the C on it. All right. Uh, last one, <laughs> best recruiting story and that you've heard.
2: <laughs> so I think my, I'm not going to go into names on this cause I don't really do that. Like I'm not trying to get people in trouble. I don't care about it. Um, I was up at hoop summit one year and a coach walked in with a suitcase and went up to a room of a player that I knew was there being recruited uh, by said coach and did not leave with suitcase.
1: <laughs> I, have a, I have a story. I have a, that exact same story at a different event. And when we're off the air, I'm going to say the name to you and we'll, we'll see if it's the same guy because yeah. I have seen that happen twice with the same coach. So that's that's about par for the course. So hopefully the FBI will decide, you know, or the NCAA, you know, just their own governing body will decide that it's, it's worthwhile to try to try to clean this shit up. But yeah. I mean, I, I, we, we could have another hour and a half podcast on the problem with recruiting. But anyway, um, last segment, parting shots, same two questions for every guest. Uh, I'll go first. What's the best advice you've ever been given?
2: Best advice I've ever been given is don't be an asshole, I would say. That's the... F- <laughs> Like, you know, just full stop, that to me is, uh, what. like, anyone who asks me advice, uh, that's the first thing I say, because you never know who is going to, you know, be there in your future, who you're going to work for, who you're going to you know, do X, Y, and Z to. And, like, for instance, I, you know, I used to call out Mike DeCourcy on Twitter all the time. Like Mike fun and I, guy, fun guy to call out. Yeah, Mike and I have such disparate views on college basketball and on every single process within basketball that we that we don't agree on anything. But then I met him and I talked to him, and he's a smart guy that is just thinks very differently from growing up in a different environment than I did, or you know. X, Y, and Z reasons, you know, and I think that that's just a great example, just, you know, and to be honest, like whenever they were looking for a draft guy, he's the guy who recommended to the editor that, you know, we should go out and get me. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's just very, you never know who you're going to piss off or who you're going to uh, anger with something. So just don't do
0: it. I like it. All right. So the last question, you're face to face with, I'm going to say here like a 20-year-old Sam. What are you telling him? Is there something maybe you want to change or like, hey, do this earlier?
2: Don't be as much of an asshole <laughs> as you were.
0: <laughs> I love these.
2: Um, yeah, no, that's probably it. Uh, I, I feel like I've been, I've been very lucky in general in what I have been able to accomplish. And... You know, I I wouldn't change what I've done so far in terms of the path of my career. Like I I have an outstanding amount of student debt right now and I don't work in the industry from which I got that degree, but I still would do it because I think it has very, it has influenced the way that I look at things in such a significant way. And I, I think it's, it creates a level of uniqueness to where to how I cover the product of college basketball or the NBA. So, yeah, no, I, I'd say just don't be a dick.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you gotta, you gotta take that from, from your favorite show justified where he tells Raylan givens, like you see an asshole in the morning, that's an asshole. But if you see assholes all day, you're the asshole. Right. I think like yeah. it's the the best quote of any TV show ever. But uh, Sam, I appreciate you bearing with us, especially, you know, we had a little a couple audio problems, but finally got this done. And and for those people out there that maybe think Sam is an asshole, I, I will say that he was <laughs> more than willing, you know, he was volunteering and, and he apologized profusely for, for you know, being late the one time and, and did everything in his power to make sure that he could get on and, and do this interview for us. So, you know, Sam, I appreciate you being here, especially on a, on a Monday night and, and giving us about an hour and a half of your time. And, uh, you know, I know, you know, Game Theory is, is your podcast, but I, I'd love for you to have an opportunity because you know, you didn't really plug yourself very much. I'd love for you to plug your stuff so that our listeners can, you know, listen to what you do and read what you do. So if you could, you know, plug yourself for 30 seconds or so.
2: Sure. So my podcast is the Game Theory Podcast. I talk about Uh, the NBA and the NBA draft quite a bit. Uh, It's an outlet for me because I write about college basketball day and where I write about college basketball is the athletic. Uh, You can subscribe to the athletic to read my work. Uh, I write a lot about college basketball there, particularly the big 10, the Pac 12 and some NBA draft stuff when I get a chance to. Uh, So yeah, I would say follow the podcast and follow the athletic and just kind of go from there.
1: And then at Sam Bassini on Twitter, uh, real, real simple, right? So
2: yeah, Sam underscore Vassini, but yeah.
1: There we go. Well, Sam, thanks for your time, man. And uh, we will talk soon, but I really appreciate it.
2: Yep. Anytime, guys.